My name is Quentin Hunt, and I'm an ally. Hi, my name is Scott Braithwaite, and I'm an ally. Hi, I'm Michelle. I have a gay son, and I am an LGBTQ ally. My name is Nathan Zuniga, and I am gay, and I am also an ally. Hi, my name is Maggie Mika, and I am an ally. Hi, my name is Savannah Hess, and I am also an ally. And, and welcome, welcome to our, our podcast, Why I Am an Ally, Breaking Barriers One Person at a Time. We are seniors at Brigham Young University, and we've been working on this four-part podcast for our final project in our gender development class, and we're so excited to share this with you. To give a little context, during the last few months, we have been interviewing individuals that we view as role models of what it looks like to be an ally to those in the LGBTQ community. Now, for those of you who are listening, LGBTQ stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. Um, we wanted to focus on them, and we also wanted to focus on those in the LGBTQ community that are also involved in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is a subject that we are both incredibly passionate about because we've seen in our personal lives moments where others could have chosen to act as an ally, but didn't. And we've also seen times where members of the church have risen up to the occasion and have shown Christ-like love to our sisters and brothers in the LGBTQ community. We fully recognize that four episodes are not going to change everyone's perspective but we're trying to break the barriers of allyship one person at a time. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Welcome to our last episode. Today, we have a dear friend of mine named Nate. Nate is a post-grad student at BYU studying neuroscience. I had the pleasure to meet Nate through the BYU leadership team, Utah BYU Chapter. NAMI Utah is an organization that advocates for and supports Utah individuals and families impacted by mental illnesses. So BYU has a NAMI Chapter support group for any student who may be struggling with any form of mental illness. But to clarify something, being a part of the LGBT community is not a mental illness. It is simply a wonderful organization where I happen to meet Nate. He is also an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He also served a full-time mission and has one of the biggest hearts I know. All of our interviews have helped us to see ways that we can improve our allyship towards members of the LGBTQ community because they are real people that show compassion, love, understanding, but most of all, with our interview with Nate, reaffirmed to us that they are children of God and deserve to be listened to and treated as who they really are as an individual and not the label society places on them. Because of this, we just want to give you time to listen to Nate. He is going to give you some incredible instructions on how to become better allies to our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community. And we hope you enjoy. At this time, Savannah and I want to say thank you for listening to our podcast. 
We hope that you were able to take in a few ideas on how you can improve or become an ally. We are so grateful for this opportunity and we hope to see you soon. We just have a few questions today that we would like to ask to help understand um, your journey on this important topic. First off, what age did you feel that you were gay? That's a great question because I remember when I was five years old, uh, of course, I think that's when I can look back and say, wow, I think I was more interested in the little boys than I was in the little girls. And there was a little boy in the first grade and of course, very much adapted to the age of a five-year-old. I just really loved his hair and I couldn't stop looking at him. And I remember his name, his name, good old Lewis, good kid. Um, the first time I, and you know, the feelings have always been there, but I didn't really take on the label of gay until very recently. Okay, great. Did you, uh, at what time did you tell your parents that you were gay and what was their reaction? Great question. Uh, just a little bit of preface. Uh, I joined the church alone, so their perspective is a little different. And I told my family, I told my mom and my aunt back in the first weeks of 2020. And it was, it's interesting because me and my family have always had kind of a, a distant relationship. And at that point I had been trying to fix my relationship with them. And I thought this might be a good opportunity to be a little vulnerable and kind of engage in that way. And unfortunately it didn't turn out as, I imagined or hoped it would have gone. I I know it was really hard on them because the first thing that my mom said after I told her, and she was in a lot of pain, she said, why does everything bad happen to me? And I recognize that, you know, we're all on this journey. You know, it took me 26 years to accept and understand uh, my identity. And so I know that it's hard for her and she hasn't brought it up since and that's okay. Being, so you recognize that you were a gay individual before you went on your mission. Is I, that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I, I knew that I was attracted to men uh, back in the day. I mean, I'm not old, old, but mm -hmm. even just not very long ago, it was still under a lot of stigma and little understanding. And so before going on a mission, I think the perspective that I took was that, you know, I'm not gay. I just, I just really admire these guys and I look up to them and, you know, maybe I see a fatherhood, something that is commonly said, you know, I look up to them in a brotherly figure or as a fatherly figure. And so that was the idea that I went with on a mission. So when was the time that you realized I am gay and I am okay being gay? Because there is nothing wrong with it. You are a wonderful person, a son of God, who's, who loves you just as much as someone who is heterosexual. I, I really like that you said say that and thank you uh i 
I have always had a strong belief in God. I think I bring it from my Catholic roots, uh, a deep-rooted faith in, in a heavenly figure. And I've always felt his love. And even when I was making sense of these attractions before I took on the label of gay fully and embraced that, uh, that label, I, the reason I was not focusing on it was because I was still trying in a way to figure out other aspects of life that a lot of people normally, uh, have figured out at that point, you know, I had a, 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 an extremely busy undergrad. I had, I was always taking 14 credits. I, at one point had four jobs. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and some of them weren't even like paid jobs. It was just volunteer research. So I was always busy running around and I said, you know, I will deal with this at another time. Mm-hmm. So I kind of shoved it into the closet, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, come my graduation from BYU and a lot of oh, time opened up, you know, I now had uh, I was in grad school. I only had a few classes and I only had one job, which was also part of my research. So I had a lot of time to think about it. Mm-hmm. And that was hard for me because I now had to embrace this this little thing in the closet that was knocking constantly and telling me, hey, I'm right here and I'm part of who you are. And so the first few times, the first few people I remember coming out to, uh, some bishops, um, it was really hard for me. And there's definitely a deep a sense of shame that comes from it. And not because I felt that I was flawed, but because I was afraid that talking about it would make me unworthy of love, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. Yeah. And so I talked to a few bishops about it, and they were incredibly kind and supportive. Of course, I deeply admire when bishops or church leaders or friends just say, I I honestly don't know what to say or what to do, but I love you and I'm here for what you need. And they don't offer a judgmental ear or try to offer advice, but they just sit and listen. And that was the beginning of me accepting it and being okay with it. Uh, A few years later, after many, many books and lots of therapy and really good people. I, I was able to come out to a close friend and then I became okay with it. Then I started interacting with other individuals and I realized that in a, in a real literal way, I felt God's love for me and for other people who also identify as gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender or asexual queer um, that God loves us and loves everyone in general. That's exactly right. Thanks for sharing that with us. How has it been for you as a BYU student um, and being gay? How's that affect like your journey? My relationship with BYU has always been special for me. When I joined the church at the age of 14, I had a good friend tell me about this wonderful university, uh, which his brother was attending at a time. And this university had a five-story library. 
<laughs> and from that day, I made it my goal to come to BYU. And I worked really hard to be here. And BYU is and continues to be my dream. And I I'm, I feel very blessed to, to be at BYU. That said, as I've, you know, embraced, uh, and by embrace, I mean accept the fact that I'm gay, I recognize the fear and the concern and the pain that a lot of my uh, LGBT plus siblings feel at BYU. And at the same time, I, I continue to love BYU. And I know that there's not just, it's not just a wonderful institution, but that it brings together wonderful individuals. Thank you. How is it for you going to church and being out like you and you've told people that you are gay? How's that been for you? And how do you feel that you've been loved and accepted and going to church being a gay individual? It's a beautiful question. About a year ago, I was asked to give a talk and it was about testimony. And I remember kneeling by my pet, by my bed to pray and ask Heavenly Father, what is something I can share that is meaningful to, to people? And immediately I felt the impression to share about my experience of, with, at that time I would call it same sex attraction. Mm-hmm. And I froze because I was like, Heavenly Father, this is not, this is You're like, no way. Excuse me, no, no, no. <laughs> you're so funny. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> Nice joke. <laughs> nice joke. And uh, I went throughout my week and the impression was there. And then I said, finally, okay, Heavenly Father, I'm going to do it. I'm going to mention it. I'm going to talk about it. Um, and so I did. And I mentioned it in my talk very briefly because it was still kind of a little bit of a shameful experience for me. And I, as I, I remember, as I began to talk a little bit about it, this sweeping silence that came over the congregation. And when, after I finished the talk, people reached out to me and were grateful for, for sharing that. And it was difficult for me and how difficult it was for me. And I think, and I I was honestly not doing it for the validation as much as I was doing it for, for trying to share something meaningful to them. But that validation was, was really healing. At the same time, I noticed that people were also afraid of interacting with me or, and I don't mean that in a way that says, oh, they're, they see me as a flawed individual more as an, I don't know how to approach you now. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it can, as it's a pretty heated subject. And so I think that created a little bit of isolation. That's hard. You mentioned a few times you have felt shame. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that a little bit more by what you mean, feeling shame? Yes, and as I warned you a little bit before we started, I will quote Brene Brown because her work has been incredibly healing for me. And she talks about shame as this intensely painful feeling of being unworthy of love and belonging. And belonging is something I've always struggled with because I've always, since I was a little boy, searched for that belonging. And I don't think I felt it at home. And that's heartbreaking for for anyone. And so with my group of friends, I didn't 
try to belong as much as I tried to fit in, which is I tried to become the person they wanted me to be rather than who I was. And that was very painful. And it, it led to, and I've had wonderful friends who have offered me incredible love and compassion and, and a, some measure of belonging. And so as I've, you know, kind of accepted who I am and felt peace about it, I've also felt the shame because I know that some people fear that what I'll do or not do may impact them and that they that I won't be able to belong a lot of the fear that comes as a lot and I've heard this expressed many times I've always wanted a family of my own and all of a sudden that comes into question is it going to happen and depending on what I decide am I going to be able to establish a home with a spouse and kids and and that's where it gets a little gray and so that's where the shame comes in and I know I recognize that I'm not flawed and that I am worthy of love and belonging, but I've done some work to get there. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, just a couple last questions. What advice do you have for people who want to become start like they want to start becoming an ally mm-hmm. or become a better ally and they don't understand what they can do because one yeah because they don't know what to do what to say is the awkwardness Mm of i love and support you Mm -hmm. but i don't know what to do to make sure i'm doing this correctly wow that's a remarkable question and i i've always lived with this idea that the lives of the LGBTQ plus community will not change until our allies come along. And I love that you use the word understanding. I remember a book written by President Ballard, I think it's called Our Search for Happiness. And in the beginning of the book, he prefaces the entire thing by using the word understanding. And that's, I think what us as an LGBTQ plus community are seeking for is understanding from our allies and from other people. And something that's difficult that I observe is that we're not listening to each other. And because there is a lot of pain on both sides. And I think we fear, either we fear too much change or we fear no change at all. And and that's a scary thing. And something that I was, I was having a beautiful conversation with a friend last night. And he said, he quoted a, something from Brene Brown and she says it's hard to hate people close up and that also means that as we reach out and we listen to others and we listen to their experiences not to agree just to listen and try to understand what their experiences uh, will help people become better allies because they'll understand what's happening and what we want because there's a lot of misconceptions about what we want. And sometimes, for example, I've had people tell me, you just want to run off with a bunch of men. And I'm like, I mean, no, I I want exactly what you want. I want a family. And uh, I don't know how that'll look like, to be honest, Mm -hmm. but I want a family. I want to continue serving in the church. 
my relationship with God is extremely important. Um, so I, I would say that, and I, I'm quoting a person when I say this, when we listen deeply to the experiences of others, we find ourselves standing in front of our own mirror and we see parts of ourselves. And when that happens, we understand each other and we find a sense of humanity. I love that. I feel like if we just sit down and even if we don't agree, but we respect each other's differences, we can go to the next step. And as long as it's respectful and you don't have to agree with each other, it's fine. But respect is the key to start moving forward. Mm -hmm. And it can remove hate. It can remove all that contention if we respect each other. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think a lot about the life of the Savior. And because he was a walking paradox, he he was both a peacemaker and a troublemaker. (laughs) And I love the fact that he would sit down with people and be with them. People that were considered the scum, which is terrible that that was the case anyways, but he would sit down with them. And I like to imagine that he would sit there and listen and be with them and learn of their experiences. It would be sad that if us at BYU and in the church and in our community couldn't do that. I totally agree with that. So I feel like your journey is so unique because uh, you wrestled with this time Mm -hmm. of just, you know, feeling comfortable with the label of I have same sex attraction. Mm -hmm. What would you say your experience has been with allyship kind of before um, you know, wrestling with these feelings, coming to terms with this beautiful part that is a part of you, um, and now helping others uh, improve their allyship as um, somebody who is now comfortable with labeling yourself as gay? Great question. <laughs> I remember the first time I encountered the words gay and Mormon. Mm-hmm at the same time. And it was a church by the, it was a website by the church in which there were a few testimonials. It was very few, just like three or two. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was a missionary and I was sitting at my little internet cafe, secretly watching this video of this man because I didn't want anyone to know. And even after then, I, when I came to BYU, I had my I had a really important French come come to me and say, I found a video of him online and it didn't say that he was gay or anything, but uh, he didn't want me to find out that way. But I was like, and from what it sounds like, it's only been very recently that you've been like, yeah, I'm, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably such a unique journey to go on for any individual. I saw you in this video and he completely lost it because he was so afraid. Uh, and then he told me, you know, I'm gay. And I was like, oh, I mean, that doesn't change anything. And I tried to listen to his experience. I read his experiences from, from a blog that he writes and to, to understand what is happening and see, and I would see little pieces of me, like you said, everyone's journey is different. And sometimes on our path, we run into each other 
and we help each other out with our experiences and that we've been through. And that was really helpful for me. And it wasn't always pretty. I remember my first encounter with a protest against the honor code at BYU. And I was afraid. I was very afraid. And I remember being highly critical of it. And I'm not, I'm not proud of that because I, at that point, I closed myself off because of my fear of what was happening. And looking back with what I know now, I would definitely be more involved uh, in reaching out to these individuals, to to our community, Mm -hmm. because I think we all build this thing together. And after that, you know, I, I began to, I continued listening to stories and talking to people. And then I talked to my bishops and therapists and, you know, I eventually came out, but I was all, I always tried to be supportive the best way that I could with my friends. And there's, it's a long way for allies to, to find that understanding again, because of cultural ideas and uh, what is, you know, what we, what we were taught since we were little. I think that's a journey that we can definitely all learn from of having those times when it was like, yeah, I, I could have been better in that moment. Cause I know that I have experiences like that as well. So I, I do have a quick question with, um, how we as individuals can show that we are a safe place to be allies, um, to those, um, and there's kind of this anomaly of, of being like a social media ally. Mm-hmm. Um, is that beneficial to have people have a social media presence to, you know, share like, I'm an ally, um, or what are some ad- or pieces of advice that you would give um, that maybe we could be more doers of the word mm-hmm. than not only hearers, but like speakers or sharers on yes. social media? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And when it comes to social media, um, it, it's a it's a tricky thing because you know social media is and can be a, a source of a lot of information. It can be very helpful, mm-hmm. and and surely um, I have found a lot of support and felt a lot of safety from finding individuals who who provide that safety, as you said. And I think that in addition to that, a lot of the conversations that need to take place are in person and face-to-face. And my, my hope and my dream that as, as allies, uh, when encountered with a situation in which there's negative talk, is to say, hey, you know, I, I can see where you're coming from. And that has not been my experience because, you know, I've talk to such such individual and this is how their experience and this is how they felt just to kind of begin that understanding and you know perhaps at that moment the individual who's who's not very responsive will come around and close ranks it's kind of what they teach us about being missionaries you know that you you share the the message and you plant the seed and you hope it grows and you come back when it's ready yeah Um, i had a a wonderful experience with one of my friends after he saw the why lit up in colors he reached out to me and uh, he said nate how can i be a support to members of the lgbtq community 
And I was a little bit taken aback because I don't want to follow stereotypes, but he's from a certain state with a certain politician flag flying on on the window. And uh, so I was a little taken aback. And I admit that I put him in a box and I judged him before actually sitting down with him to hear his perspective. And I was really grateful for that conversation. He was very mature. I tried to figure out where he was and he said, um, this is how I grew up. You know, I grew up listening to very hateful rhetoric. And at the same time, I want to be supportive. It would have been easy for me to say, well, you're just a beep in some way, <laughs> shape or form. But um, I, I don't say this uh, to try to sound self-righteous. It's just I was grateful that I was able to hold space for him in trying to become a better ally. We do have like two minutes left oh, in this, beep. just so we know. Um, just like one last question. Mm-hmm. So you brought up a, a point in the last answer about he grew up with a lot of hate rhetoric about mm-hmm. this community. What advice do you have for people who grew up with that? And it's very ingrained, like implicitly, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just something that they grew up with and they just know just regardless and that's just what they know. Yeah. What are the first steps that someone can take when they're filled with this? And it's a lot of information, a lot of going back and forth. What is the first step would you give someone? Ooh, great question. It, it takes a lot of self-awareness. And it's difficult to wrestle with something that you grew up with. And we all run into this from time to time when uh, theory meets reality. So I I think of my roommate who was able to say, you know, this is how I grew up and this is how I saw things. And if you're an individual who finds themselves feeling uh, not even on the fence, but like very far away from the fence and how you feel about what's going on with with the LGBTQ plus movement, um, I, I just simply encourage you to, to, to listen, to listen to stories, to listen to what individuals want. And, you know, this can start by searching out testimonies online and don't, don't sit, sit there and try to disagree, but just listen. Okay, so our last question is, what do you not recommend doing if you want to become a better ally? Like, what resources would you not recommend? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is the uh, appealing to the negative aspect of social media. I, I love the words of a, of a rabbi who said, you know, we've gone from broadcasting to narrow casting. And social media offers us the opportunity to come together in a very tight niche niche and find people who think very much like us and that's wonderful for building community and it also may lead us to get a little biased and and i say this because i've experienced it because i you know it's easy to find just people who only resonate with what i think and so i i would strongly discourage just sticking to those very tight niche groups, mm-hmm. uh, be part of them for sure. And also learn from the other side. 
and, and listen to what they have to say. And that'll create a wonderful opportunity and not just, I mean, to bless allies and our community, but also to bless your life in general and have more open conversations and find meaning in that. There are people who are trying to raise that understanding because there's a lot of pain on both sides, which is sad that there are sides and we're not just a one cohesive thing because we are interdependent parts and that's how God created us. And I, I don't mean that psychologically, but as a scientist who studies biochemistry, there's evidence that suggests that we are a species that was created to to be together. And so this is this is wonderful to help everyone out. And there's a lot of resources out there that are trying to achieve the same thing. And we need all the voices that we can get. And I would just also say that if you identify as LGBTQIA+, that you are loved of God. Never doubt that. And living the gospel and finding your way to accepting who you are are not mutually exclusive. You can do both. And it's hard, but it's worth it. It is hard and it is worth it. There are just so many different levels and layers that that help us become who we are meant to be and reach this self-actualization that can be ours. Being an ally to those in the LGBTQ community will do no harm, <laughs> no harm at all to your personal growth. In fact, it can only improve it. Like Maggie said at the beginning of this episode, we really hope that this has meant something to you. Um, we're grateful for you spending some time with us, and really there's nothing to add uh, from what Nathan shared with us. He shared incredible tools to listen, to take time, uh, and often I feel people are scared to be an ally simply because they don't understand what they can do. I think it's so interesting in the experience Nathan shared where he said uh, after he shared his experience and his word of dealing with same-sex attraction, how people just didn't know how to approach him anymore. He was still the same person. We are all the same people that we are, no matter what label is placed on us, no matter what trial we are faced with. If we really ask ourselves, would we treat somebody differently if they had any other kind of struggle or would we want to embrace them and help them understand that we love them we are there for them uh, i have a dear friend who's an incredible ally to those in the lgbtq community and they're in the lgbtq community themselves they are very honest with ways that we in the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints can improve and they're very vocal about it but I look to them and I see somebody who is striving so diligently to hold fast to the faith that they have and to hold to what they know to be true. And we really are all just here on this earth in this fallen world, a very fallen world, a very imperfect world in a very imperfect state, simply trying to do the best that we can do to be the best that we can be. Without this effort, without th 
you know, without this effort, oh, hold on. For those who are trying to put forth the effort to be good, to be kind, to seek loving and belonging, which is something that we all desperately need. It's not just a, a pleasant want that we have in life, but we need it. And there are places we can go. Nathan mentioned that there are many resources that we can turn to. For those of you who are in the Utah Valley, uh, or just in Utah in general, uh, the group called Encircle is a, a wonderful group that can help those in the LGBTQ community um, feel as though they are in a community. It, are there things that we can do to widen that? Yes. Um, hopefully we can actually just have community someday, be a place where people can feel safe uh, to be who they are. Uh, we will add the link in our bio that can take you to the church's website. Nathan mentioned that, where you can see people's experiences in trying to be a faith-filled people. Overall, we really hope that you just take some time to listen, to seek opportunities to listen to others who are experiencing life, maybe not in the same way you are, but nonetheless all still striving to be good and to find that safe place. You are the resource. You can be the safe place. You must be an ally. So why are we allies? Why do we choose to seek to love others? It is because Jesus Christ is the ultimate ally. He is the one who suffered for our pains, our sicknesses, our afflictions of every kind that he may succor us, that he may run to give us aid. And I think that is a beautiful, beautiful gift and a beautiful thing to know that the Savior has that and it is there for us. Seek to be like Christ. Christ is the perfect example of what an ally is supposed to be. So if we get caught up on fallen world examples, take a step back, seek an eternal perspective, uh, and allow the Savior to teach you, to train you, and to mold you. Maggie and I have been on this growing experience where we have learned ways that we could improve our allyship, and we are so excited to be on this journey. And we're so excited and so grateful that you've been able to go on this journey with us. And we hope that this can help you find your answer as to why you are an ally. And hopefully this kind of broke down some barriers that you may have, maybe unknowingly, but barriers nonetheless that you can actively choose to go and, and love God's children one by one. If at the end of the day, the only way you can answer this question of why I'm an ally is because Jesus Christ is, Maybe that's enough for now. Grow with Christ.